We just need to bow our heads and pray after that. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you so much. Thank you that you reminded Pastor Steve of your great love for him and his family and, and to uh, share with us an, express, an expression of your great love and care for us. Lord, we realize you are king over every situation. And when uh, the, uh, the circumstances uh, mount up against us, and the pressures rise, and uh, the opposition presses upon us, Lord. You remind us in so many ways that you love us, and you care for us, and you are our great God. You are our Savior, and our Lord, and the Master, that you have all things under your sovereign dominion, and so our Father. We just praise you this morning. We ask with all of our hearts that you would open up our minds to the word of God, open up to us what you have for us, Father, that we might be people who experience the power of God in our lives in fresh ways, powerful ways. Lord, in in ways that express to you our love for you, I pray, Father, that we might not be satisfied at all here, Father, to be people who um, participate in some sort of form of godliness, I pray, Father, that we might not um, operate in busyness and activity and view that as growth in the Lord. I, I pray, Father, that we might not misunderstand what it really is to have the transforming power of Jesus Christ at work in our lives as we walk by the Spirit, as we are led by the Spirit, as we are filled by the Spirit of God. I pray, Father, that we might not miss out on any of the benefits that the Lord Jesus Christ laid his life down in order to um, procure for us, Father. I pray that we might honor him, honor the Lord Jesus, our Savior, by experiencing the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, in all of our lives. So, Father, I pray this morning that you would empower us with a sense of your presence. I pray, Father, that that you would focus and laser our hearts and our minds on the word of God, your message to us today. Father, we have uh, taken the time to gather together because you've brought us here. We've lifted up our voices to praise you. We, we've, um, we desire in our, our, li- our lives would be lives of worship. And so, Father, we know that you long to pour into us uh, your will for us, your word to us. Uh, you long for us to do the very thing Uh, that you will, that we would do, and that is to experience the fullness of the power of Christ in our lives. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now, Lord, I pray that we would stand firm and not turn back into the yoke of slavery when you have rescued us to experience all of the power of Christ in our lives. For I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I do want to talk to you this morning about Galatians chapter 5, in particular about freedom. What is freedom? And I would say to you that in the circumstances of many, people, many people's Christian lives, uh, over great quantities of time, we have missed out on what it is to experience precisely what Paul is teaching here, talking about the freedom of Jesus Christ, the freedom in Christ. 
And um, we have missed the, uh, the meaning of that because I think in so many ways we're afraid of freedom. I was reading a, a, a book this week and the author said I can't, he could not remember a time in his life when a pastor or a parent or a teacher told him that he was free to live with the Holy Spirit, that, that it, would, it was good enough for him to have the Holy Spirit in his life. He didn't need anything, uh, any, any other extra accoutrements, uh, religious stuff. He said he couldn't remember a time when any pastor or parent or teacher risked freedom. And I was thinking about myself, and I was thinking about our church. I was thinking about the whole nature of our culture, our traditions, our religious traditions, our, our evangelical, our gospel, our Baptist traditions and customs. And I was wondering to myself if I had ever heard anybody ever say to me, Rick, it is enough. The Holy Spirit is enough. Having Jesus Christ is enough. And I want to say to you this morning that I am very, very exercised and it's been impressed heavily upon my heart that, that the Lord wants us absolutely to get this and understand this and, um, and uh, breaking free in Christ is crucial for us. Now the reason some of us are afraid of freedom is because we misunderstand the nature of the theological freedom that's being, being taught to us here. Some of us are afraid freedom will look like Al the slide bang. This. We are thinking that if we are told we can be free, we could have like a garbage can size of Slurpee. I, I mean, that's sort of the American thing, isn't it? In fact, um, in the 90s, there was an advertisement that, that, that 7-Eleven had promoted. It wasn't exactly this. This is a bit of a lark on it. That said, America loves freedom. It was a 7-Eleven promo. And it was just continuing to supersize the liquid sugar, and see how long it would take to kill people, I think. So much so, of course, that you know the big foo-for-all in New York City, Mayor Blomberg is, 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 is um, restricting the amounts of beverages, the size of beverages that they can serve to people in New York City. You, you can only have, I think, now 16 ounces at one time of liquid sugar. And... Um, I'm thinking to myself, you know, as, as, uh, as, as the North Americans uh, freedom their size to, to uh, death, this is what makes us nervous about the theological teachings about freedom. Hey, if we give people freedom, they're just going to cut loose and do anything. So we're afraid of it. I was thinking to myself, if the Americans keep supersizing themselves, 300 million Americans are going to weigh more than 1 billion Chinese. It's just like, it's out, of, it's out of control. And so, this, this freedom thing makes us very nervous. Then there's the other side. There's the flip side of reaction to this freedom. Well, I know what we need to do in religion. We need to make up religious obstacle courses. Uh, you can't let people go free. You can't just set them free. Uh, just people and God... That's unthinkable. Think what will happen. So we design things. We design rituals, rituals and customs and traditions that make it difficult to get to God. 
I mean, if you can break through our, our, our circuitous ceremonies and our, our insider passwords and our secret codes, then maybe, just maybe, you can please God. So this morning, I want to um, look at Galatians chapter 5, 1 through 12. In particular, I want to concentrate on the first six verses, really. And um, under the, uh, the title, What's Freedom For?, I know the grammatic grammaticians around here say that's not the, really the way you're supposed to say it. It's supposed to be for what is freedom, I think. But it doesn't sound very good that way, does it? So what's freedom for? That's what we really need to discover. If we're going to get this right, I mean, it says here in the text, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Well, so what's freedom for then? If it's not for a garbage sand garbage can sized slurpee and it's not certainly about that then what is it galatians chapter 5 verse 1 it is for freedom that christ has set us free stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery mark my words i paul tell you with apostolic authority, by the way, if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You, who are trying to be justified by law, by the Old Testament ritual customs, have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. In other words, it's not from Jesus. This is from Satan, this other stuff that you're paying attention to. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident, really he gives this illustration, a little untruth can lead to total ruin ultimately. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, If I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Paul's a little bit fired up here. He's fired up because there are people coming into this new group of of those who've received Christ, this new church, brand new church, And they're trying to drag people back and say, no, you can't possibly simply rely on the Lord Jesus. You can't rely on just the Holy Spirit for your growth you and pleasing God. You need to practice the Old Testament ceremonies. And the Apostle Paul is saying, if you do that, there are significant ramifications to where you're going with this. And so we need to ask a question as we start to embark upon this, answering the question, what's freedom for? I think at least we must say, why do I need freedom? 
Maybe we're still uncertain of that point before we can even go any further. We'll look over at Galatians chapter 3 just in case. Galatians chapter 3, verse 22. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. Why do we need freedom at all? Because the whole world, every single human being uh, who's come into this world, starts out their journey of life as prisoners to sin. Not only that, over in Ephesians... uh, elaborating on on this as for you Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 as for you you were dead before knowing Christ you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Paul elaborates here on the very same thing. He says, you were prisoners of sin. You were prisoners of yourselves and your own sinful desires. And you were prisoners of the God of this world or Satan. So you were in this massive prison of unfreedom. Slaves to sin, slaves to yourself and its evil cravings, its wicked cravings, and slaves to Satan. And you needed freedom. Now, the freedom that the world craves is not the freedom that he's talking about here. When we talk about the freedom that the world craves, that they think about freedom, they think about independence. I just want to be free of things. I just want to be, I want to have a personalized kind of, uh, of independent life that's situational. Uh, that's the kind of freedom that I'm talking about. Or they talk about emotional or psychological wholeness. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But that's the idea of freedom. Or freedom uh, of choices without boundaries. That's what we see all around us. That's the kind of thing that people define as freedom. I just want to be free to make whatever choice I want without boundaries. And so we have to look particularly at what this freedom is all about. Because what Paul is defining here is the fact that you've been liberated from a prison to sin, to self, and to Satan. And he's, he's presupposing or supposing that the audience that he's going to be preaching to are, have finally come to the place in their lives where they are frustrated and, and fed up with sinning and being a slave to sin, being a slave to their self-desires. They have come to the end of the road of trying to, in some sort of... Uh, Um, self-discipline through religious rituals, get their life in gear and somehow please God and get some sort of uh, liberation from sin or from themselves. So they've finally come to the place where cutting loose entirely isn't working and and, uh, trying to uh, have personal restrictions and boundaries uh, by way of ceremony and ritual isn't doing anything to change their heart. And so they've finally come to the place where they said, What freedom are we talking about? Because the guys back in Jerusalem are saying, you've got to go back and and simply work harder at the rituals of the past. So what is this freedom? It is not off-the-rails, uncontrolled license. And it is clearly not stumbling over religious obstacle courses, making it difficult to get to God. 
Verse 5 really zeroes us in on precisely what this freedom and the content of this freedom is. Notice what it says in verse 5. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. The righteousness for which we hope. This is the content of the freedom. Righteousness translated another way, the right way of living. And how in the world am I going to acquire the right way of living? Well, if you turn in your Bibles back to Romans chapter 1, in, in Paul's presentation of the gospel, he tells us what we received at salvation. In Romans chapter 1, verse 17, it says here, For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The Apostle Paul says, this righteousness is what you acquired by faith at salvation. This righteousness or right way of living is personified in Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ is the righteousness. The perfections of Christ moved into your life at salvation. Having Christ and all the capacities needed to receive and live out this righteousness or the right way of living for which we hope. This is the freedom that you have received. You have received and have been imputed to you this perfection or right way of living of Christ. It has moved into your life to be empowered to live out and be transformed in Christ's right way of living. And this is not some sort of new idea. This is not a new religion that the the Apostle Paul has, has dreamed up. In fact, They should have known that this was promised all along. In Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26, listen. This is the prophecy of God. This is the promise of God in what was to come. He says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put, listen, my spirit in you. And move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This amazing promise, promise, this prophecy that Ezekiel brought forth is now being fulfilled, Paul says, in the salvation granted to us by Jesus Christ. This is the very thing that God promised, which we had hoped for, a righteousness from God. Christ himself would move into our lives and change our stony hearts into hearts of flesh. We would have new hearts that would be inclined to say yes to God. And so, yes, God is enough, Paul says. God is enough. This is what he promised to you. Because God in you will move your heart to respond to the precepts and degrees uh, decrees and, and, uh, and uh, commandments of the Lord. That's the promise. He'll move inside of you and, and change your life. So this freedom then, let's not mistake or misunderstand it. It is the righteousness of Christ. It is the perfection of Christ. It is the right way of living that Christ himself has moved into your life to enable to occur. So how is this freedom gained? Well, we've already said, it came to you at salvation. 
the day of your salvation, the moment of your salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ moved into your life by the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. And in so doing, he moved in all of the possibilities and capacities for you to live the right way of Christ. By faith. And it's the same faith that Abraham had. Abraham believed God, Genesis 15, 6, and it was credited to him as righteousness. It's not by your heritage you gain this or by your culture. It's not by ceremony or religious ritual. It is not by right thinking. It is not by passive acceptance. So I don't disagree with this, so I must have it. It's not none of that. It is by faith receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior who forgives you of your sins and moves into your life and the righteousness of Christ moves in. The perfecting work of Christ moves into your life. The right way of living moves into your life. So then what is freedom for? We've, got, we, we've already bypassed or passed, passed the, uh, gone past the idea that it's, that it's for... Um, Anything that I want to do, although we're going to have to circle back to that a few times before we leave it, and we've gathered that Paul says, don't go back to to circumcision, some sort of religious ritual, and think you can please God. So what is this freedom for? Verse 6, the second part of verse 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. What is this freedom for? Here's the reality that changes everything, past, present, and your future, your destiny. Christ Jesus has broken the power of the evil one. He has broken the power of death. He has broken the power of sin. He has broken the power of yourself at the cross and has given you a new heart that you have received by faith and therefore you have received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Enabling you to live out the only thing that counts to God. Faith expressing itself through love. Now, we, we need to fully understand that that this freedom that was granted to us is not simply a freedom from. I am not freed just from sin and from self and from Satan. I am not freed only to receive the perfection of Christ. I am freed for Christ. I have been made holy. I have been set apart. You've been set apart for Christ. And this liberating freedom is necessary in order for us to live our lives for Christ. Now, what does this really look like, this whole idea of faith expressing itself through love? In other words, this faith to demonstrate its authenticity shows itself through its capacity now to actually live out the great commandment. That's what this love is all about. 
I have now been set free from sin, self, and Satan, which kept me from loving the Lord my God with all of my heart, soul, mind, body. I've been freed from sin, self, and Satan to to, uh, finally be able to love my neighbor as myself. So this, this, um, uh, the nature of this freedom, having received a righteousness from Christ, having received in my life the potential for the right way of living, enacted in my life as the power of the Holy Spirit works, I have now been set free to express the genuineness of my faith through my love for God and my love for my neighbor. Now, um, this is something we could not formally do. And this is something circumcision certainly couldn't help you do. Or any other ritual for that matter. So we have here this supernatural transformative power that has moved into our lives to enable us to do what we can never do. Now, Christ makes us free, it would seem almost paradoxically, by causing us to be bondservants of the living God. This freedom is we have been free now to trust, love, and obey God. And we've been free now to, to love, freed now to love and to serve the body of Christ. And, and you understand where that comes from? My love for God. My love for my neighbor. That's how it comes. And, and I've been now empowered to grow in holiness as each one of us cooperates with the guiding work of the Holy Spirit, saying yes to God and his word as he works out his will in our lives. So I am now being changed from to be able to live for Christ. Now, what's this freedom mean to you exactly? Let's talk about something practical here. How does, it, how does the rubber hit the road of your life? See if this appeals to you. If you um, fully cooperate with what the Holy Spirit of God wants to do in your life, you will finally be what you were made to be. You will, you will actually become whole and healthy of mind. Second uh, Timothy 1. So remember, we talked about the freedom that the world craves, sort of independence to find yourself. Remember, we talked about emotional, psychological healing and wholeness. Well, this is precisely what God gives to us, except in an enriched form, a worthwhile form, to finally involve yourself beyond yourself. To be set free from the power of sin that, that has, has held you, has been over you. To, to finally be in a state in your life that is more powerful than the evil one. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We need to stop being a pandering to the evil one in our lives. To discover your true identity by knowing God and learning to live in healthy ways with others. Quite honestly, this is huge. This is immense. Think about if the church of Jesus Christ could actually live to, or learn to live in healthy relationships with each other. Is that the way you would describe the church of Jesus Christ? It's not the way I would describe it. I would describe factions and fighting and selfishness, people not able to get along, people gossiping and biting at each other. 
this power of God, this transforming work, this freedom would absolutely, if fully embraced, would so radically transform the church, not just our church, the church, that the, uh, the, the world itself would be set on its head. Now look, here's why Paul says um, to, to that comment, to that reality that we're not there, Paul says, listen, don't mess this up. As he moves on to verse 2, he says, mark my words, uh, what Christ has given to you it is possible to mess up. It is possible not to embrace in your life. If you're searching, you continue to search for a religious obstacle courses in your life, the maze of ritual and, and human rules and, uh, that groups impose, you are going to stumble around and miss out on this by going back on relying on these things, religious activities. If you do, Paul says, they become, notice, an end and measurement in themselves. You see, the idea here was the Galatians, the, those who came along to agitate the Galatians said, look, if the men circumcise themselves or are circumcised, then God's going to be pleased with them. Well, that's the measurement then. That's the end of it. Hey, just take care of that one thing and God's going to be pleased with me. We didn't change their hearts. Didn't change their relationships. Didn't change whether or not they loved God with all of their heart, mind, soul, body, strength. It just becomes an artificial measurement. They effectively replace Christ as the way they have chosen to change your, as the way you've chosen to change your behavior. He says, if you do that, Christ will be of no value to you. He says, if you're going to rely on religious customs and traditions, you will have to specialize in every last rule. Do you get that? He says, here, if you're going to do that, you have to obey the whole law. You can't just pick and choose some of the things that you find easy to do and think God is going to be okay with that. If you're going to choose self-justification style of religion, which is what they were going to do, says here, see, you are trying to be justified by the law. See, Lord, we're good people. Look what we do. So you try to do that, you'll have to stand alone without Christ. And you will get what you deserve because you've rejected grace. Do you want what you deserve? Does anybody in here want what they deserve from God? Can I see a show of hands that you'd like to get what you deserve from God? No, you don't want what you deserve from God, brother. I don't want what I deserve from God. That's the last thing I want. I desperately need what I don't deserve. I desperately need the grace of God. I desperately need to cling to Him and rely on Him. There's no way I can stand before the Lord self-justified. There's no way I can stand before the Lord and say, look at I practiced a few good religious things. Aren't I good? Look at me. Take me in. No, that, there's no way we can do that. And Paul says, if you want to go there, if you try to go there, you have fallen from grace. You have said to the Lord, I'll, I'll accept what I deserve. That's works. And all you get out of that is wages. Not salvation. And surely not sanctification. And you are in effect trying to live without God all over again. I sometimes do a test run to see where we're at in these things with people. By asking a question. See how they answer it. To see 
they really understand what, you ha- what we have received. And the question I often ask, and I ask this as a diagnostic question to see if people really are Christians, but I also, I'll ask everybody this question, even if you claim to be a Christian. And the question is simply this, what is a Christian? You go ahead and you ask that question sometime, just, just if you want to see whether or not what I'm telling you is true. Invariably, when I ask people what is a Christian, I get these kind of answers. And some of them are okay, by the way. But this is the string of answers on how to answer the question, what is a Christian? Well, they're believers in God. They go to church. They read their Bible. They get baptized. They don't do drugs. They don't get drunk. And they go to confession. They take the Eucharist. They are confirmed. They don't wear pants or slacks to church. They, the music is always 4-4 timing because syncopation is jungle music. They um, give money. They're nice to people except to the people who break our rules. Then we're not nice to them. And they tell people how to be a good Christian by the things that they don't do. And I wish I had in my office a buzzer that went, ah! That's not what a Christian is. Do you think that's what a Christian is? You have to say no. Paul says, by definition, if that's what you think, that's how you're embracing the righteousness of Christ in your life, then you are being burdened all over again by the yoke of slavery. You're being held prisoners by the measurements that you have set up, which do not have the power to change you. The definition, by the way, I think we should know, is by faith. A Christian is a person who, by faith, has received the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord has had their sins forgiven by him and has now received the power of the Holy Spirit into their life to transform them into the likeness of Christ Jesus. That's a Christian or any combination of those words because the only thing that counts to God is what? Is what? Tell me. Faith expressing itself through love. The only, the Bible tells you, the only thing that counts to God. Now you're saying, if that's it, then woohoo! I'm not going to be back next Sunday. Would that be loving God? The Lord has got this all covered. We just have to pay attention to His Word. And live it out. The only thing that counts to God is how free you are becoming and fired up you are to live the great commandment. That's all that counts to God. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. How's it going? Love your neighbors yourself. How's that going? Only life in Christ, walking in the Spirit, will make that grow. Now let me close with, um, wind it up here with some... uh, 
application because we're losing people here like flies. They're just, they're just up and leaving. Huh? I'm, preach, I'm, preach, I'm preaching the room empty. I've always dreamed of doing that. Honestly. Okay. Some freedom applications here because we, we've got to get this. This freedom that we're talking about. By the way, you, you should come tonight. I'm going to talk more about this. We'll get, we'll get serious about this and what it looks like and what it isn't and all of that. And uh, maybe we'll have some time for questions. I doubt it because I never do, but, but maybe we will. Uh, we, we need to talk about this more. We're, this is the, to me, this is the, this is the foundational reality of Christian living. This is what every Christian has to fully embrace and understand. Now look at this freedom will free us to radically affect the world around us just because of our authentic witness of the reality of God in our lives, of actually acquiring a righteousness of Christ, of actually acquiring that at salvation by faith. This will radically enable us to witness to the reality of God in our world. In, in so many ethical ways, not, not just because things are right or I feel like them, but because I love God, but because, because the, the only thing that counts to God and what's really transforming my life is by, my, is by faith in him expressing itself through my love for him and my love for people around him. That's what matters and that's what we're talking about here. So what does high-octane Holy Spirit energy look like in some of the major categories of our life? Let's take a look at something like justice. What's the distinction between uh, simply a person without God who happens to be a just kind of person and a believer in this power of the Holy Spirit reality that we're talking about here today? It is this. We don't practice justice or promote justice or stand for justice just because it's right. We don't promote or stand for justice just because we feel like it. We promote and stand for justice. Why? Because God is just. And we love Him. And we are witnesses to the reality of God in our world. And so we stand as beacons of justice because we love God and we, it's faith expressing itself through love for God and love for others. Let's take kindness, for instance. Why are we kind? Are we kind because it's right, the right thing to do? Of course it's the right thing to do. Are, are we kind because we feel like being kind? No, we're first of all kind because by faith we are expressing our love for God and our love for one another because the Holy Spirit of God is prompting us to live out the perfections of Jesus Christ who was the way, the truth, and the life and who is kind and the kindness of God brings people to repentance, the Bible says. Let's take a look at forgiveness. Why do we forgive? Well, because the Bible tells us to. Sure, yes. But do we forgive because it's the right thing to do? I mean, there's lots of people outside of faith that forgive people. 
Do we forgive people just so we can become unburdened by the, the weight on our lives emotionally of not forgiving people? No, please. I, I hardly ever want to hear that again. It's not found in the Bible. That's secular psychobabble. The world forgives people so they can get released from, from the bondage in their own life. We forgive people because Christ first forgave us. We forgive them because we forgive people because we love God with all of our hearts. We forgive because we love our neighbor as ourselves. And so when our nasty neighbor comes up and does something sinful for us, to us and then asks us for forgiveness, we forgive not because we feel like it, not because it's right, not because we want to become unburdened, but because God would forgive them. And so we are demonstrations of the reality and the witness of God in, the, in our universe. And we forgive. And we'll forgive today. And we'll forgive tomorrow. And we'll forgive the next day. We'll forgive long after it's any possibility that a human could forgive. Because we are expressing the authenticity of our faith and the fact that the righteousness of Christ has moved into us and we are cooperating with the work of the Holy Spirit to forgive because we love God and we love people. That's what this is. There's non-discrimination. Why? Because it's the in thing to do in our culture? It's sexy? No. Because it's right? No. It is. But because God loves people and is no respecter of persons, it's because God has demonstrated his love having the rain fall on the fields of the wicked and the fields of the righteous. We don't promote immorality. But we are non-discriminatory. We champion the rights of people because we love God with all of our hearts and we love people as ourselves. And, and so we need to call, I mean, this is not exhaustive, obviously, but you get the idea. This is how, this is how the Holy Spirit changes you. Otherwise, you can do all of that other stuff in your own power. But God actually changes you to be a person who more normally expresses this faith through loving God and loving others. Now let me close with this. Wow. I looked one minute, it was noon. No wonder everybody's leaving. <laughs> I'll, I'll wrap it up here. So I, I'm sorry, I, I got away from myself here. Let me just say this, and we'll, we'll close. We need to ask ourselves in our own lives in this issue, how, how is it possible that I might be stifling in my own life the powerful transforming work of the Holy Spirit. There are a number of possibilities, but let's just take a couple. And, and the first one is our watches. Isn't this, isn't this great? This is providential. This is not a setup. This is not a setup. I'm serious, honestly. It's not. You see, if the Holy Spirit really wants to talk to us or really wants to break out in our life and really wants to make something happen, do we give any room for that? Or, or we got to get going. Now, we're going to get you out of here. I understand biological realities and all that kind of stuff. 
Do we make room for it in our schedule? Is there any room for spiritual in our schedules, our busy schedules? Is there any room for spiritual growth in our agendas? Are we more about being successful or spiritual? In our prejudices, I'm not going to love that person. I'm not going to talk to that person. I'm sitting in this side of the church for a reason because I don't want to sit over there because I don't want to talk to them. Or I'm willingness to submit to your own personality or submit your personality to the Lord. It's just the way I am. It's just the way I was made. Or by the past attitudes that you continue to nurture, I'm not willing to be vulnerable or stretch too proud. Or by past habits you keep hanging around. Well, again, we could go on. I just want to uh, close with this and then Pastor Steve and the team will sing and, and we'll go home. The Lord gave me an unusual thing this week. Never, ever before happened to me. I just feel like he gave me such a, um, an understanding of this, the six verses of this text that he gave me uh, in a very fast way uh, an, uh, an enablement to paraphrase this in a way that I think will really help you. It really helped me. And I want, to, I want to read it. We'll read it together, together as you, I've got on the screen. I want you to see this. And listen, listen to this. This is what this text, I really believe, God is, is, is expressing. And here it is. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm. And don't get drawn back into things that can only enslave you to rules and customs and get in the way of being radically changed by Christ. You will treat them as the end in themselves. That will take you spiritually nowhere. Mark my words. If you settle for minimalizing your religious experience to a few easy external actions, all that Christ has done will not benefit you. In fact, if you decide that you're going to choose rules, customs, and religious traditions to develop your so-called spiritual life, you better plan on keeping all of them perfectly. You can't just pick and choose. I'm talking every last one of the recorded precepts perfectly and all in your own strength. Keep in mind that in doing this, you are insisting on being self-justified by how perfectly you live and have made it known that Christ is not really needed. In other words, you don't need his grace. You'll take your chances on getting from God what you deserve. But what is being offered by God is the righteousness, that is, Christ's righteousness, his right way of living, for which we have all been hoping all these centuries that now, by faith, we can all have and experience through God's Spirit. The Spirit will make the perfection of Christ come alive in our lives. Your external rituals, customs, are neither here nor there if you are in Christ. You're not better if you do or if you don't. The only thing that counts to God is genuine faith in Jesus Christ, which proves itself real by its expressions of love for God and his people. Galatians 5, 1 to 6. So what is it again that counts to the Lord? Faith expressing itself through love. As I was praying early this morning about this time together, this service, the Lord gave me a a modern, I think, illustration or metaphor of what this really looks like practically. You have to be somewhat computer literate to get this, and uh, obviously God is, so this is what he gave to me. You know when you turn off your computer at the end of the day, and it says um, there's like nine upgrades waiting, do you want to accept them? Or you got, you know, you got the iPod or the 
Walkman, Steve, and, and the, uh, and the uh, app thing says, do you want to upgrade your apps? I, I think that's, that's what we're talking about here. The Holy Spirit prompting our lives, saying, look, I got a few loving the Lord, loving each other upgrades for you. You want to you plug into those? You want to connect to those? I got, I got some app upgrades for you. I want, I want you to go give that person 20 bucks or something. I want you to go and tell that person you're sorry. It's about faith expressing itself through love for God and for each other. That's how the Holy Spirit grows the righteousness of Christ in us so that we live out Christ's righteousness with one another. Our Father and our God, we long for this freedom, freedom from sin and self and Satan to be able to love you and love one another. Would you make that, Lord, the expression of the faith of this church? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.